Let's take our Bibles and turn over. Let's see, where are we going to be going to? First Thessalonians chapter 4 in your Bibles would be a good place to turn. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter number 4. Are you, will you all be, okay, very good, thank you. This evening's uh, teaching time is a, uh, a bit of a merging together of the morning and the evening uh, themes that we've been considering uh, in recent weeks. In the morning we have been uh, preaching through the Olivet Discourse and uh, we have learned a bit about the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ. In the evening we've been answering questions, doctrinal questions, uh, that church members have uh, have asked, and we're kind of blending these together because I, I made the statement in looking at the Olivet Discourse and the Second Coming of Christ that the rapture is not in here. We're not on Sunday mornings. I have not preached on the rapture one time going through the Olivet Discourse because the rapture is not in the Olivet Discourse. Now, after having preached through the tribulation period, what Jesus Christ said the tribulation judgments are the horrific, horrific uh, judgments that are coming to this world. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of those horrific judgments, uh, that leaves, uh, it, it ought to leave us with the question in our minds, will I get out of here before all of this catastrophe happens? Uh, am I going to have to live through that if that happens in the very near future? And, and those, those are uh, viable questions to ask. And uh, what does the Bible teach about our presence in the tribulation period, if we have a presence in the tribulation period. What does the Bible teach about where the rapture fits into all of this catastrophic tribulation judgment? And that's what we're going to consider for a few moments this evening. Where does the rapture fit in to all the things that we have preached about on recent Sunday mornings about the tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus Christ? And so uh, the, uh, the bluff of the message is just simply let's understand the rapture, what it is and when it'll happen, and try to be able to place that in the context of the prophecies that we have been studying. So we've concluded the Olivet Discourse, and what a trip it was going through the teachings of Jesus Christ about future events. They are they're profound, they're encouraging, and they're downright scary in a lot of ways. What Jesus said, which, which synchronized very tightly with what the Old Testament preachers had preached for years about how God was going to end life on planet Earth. And when we take and listen to what Jesus said with, with inquisitive minds, not just reading words, but envisioning, what would it be like to see that happen? And, and, and when we give ourselves to serious contemplation on what Jesus said and what the Old Testament preachers said and what the book of Revelation says, then it is downright scary what is coming to this world during the tribulation period. The question becomes, am I going to get out of here before all of that happens? Now, we're going to need for you to... Uh, to remember a couple of things and be mindful of a couple of things. So let's go to this first um, PowerPoint slide here. Um, the, this is, this is kind of the Jewish expectation. Jesus Christ was 
preaching the Olivet Discourse to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish expectation of future events based on the preaching of the Old Testament preachers was very simple. They lived on a timeline, and at some point in time, there were going to be horrific judgments, tribulation judgments, that were going to culminate with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming to earth and fighting the battle of Armageddon. That was the Jewish expectation. It was very simple. It was not hard to understand. That's what they expected, and that's all they knew. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in the letters Peter wrote, that in 1 Peter, that the, that the actual preachers themselves in the Old Testament struggled to understand what the Spirit of God was having them write down, because they couldn't understand. It almost seemed like the Messiah was going to come and live two different kinds of life. There was going to be one that was dominated by suffering, and there was going to be one that was dominated by glory and power. And they couldn't understand how the, the messages that God gave them and that they recorded down could happen. And so their expectation was simple, it was basic, but it was very difficult for them to understand. Then along comes Jesus Christ on this next slide. And when Jesus Christ came, born in a manger, ended up dying on a cross, but announced that he was coming back. And all of a sudden, the Messiah, instead of the Messiah coming at the end of a time of tribulation to do battle with his enemies on earth, to conquer Rome and to establish his kingdom... All of a sudden, the Messiah came, but he didn't do any of that. He actually died in humility and defeat on a cross. And they knew their Old Testament scripture says, Cursed is he that, that hangeth on a tree. And that's quoted in the New Testament in Galatians. Someone who is crucified is cursed by God. And Jesus Christ did not come in glory and power as they expected the Messiah to come. But rather, he came and he was cursed by God. As soon as he took your sin on his back and my sin on his back, God cursed him and God did to him what God would do to you if you didn't have the atonement through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the Messiah, one coming and still a second coming, once in humility, ending in suffering, once in power and glory, ending in victory over all of his enemies and establishing his kingdom. And so Jesus began to explain to them some things about this, this fact that he was coming back and what to expect the next time he came back. Now, it's very important to remember the mountain peaks of prophecy. Let's just look at this real quickly here. When Jesus Christ is teaching, he's teaching in a linear view, looking out over the expanse of time in front of him. And there's various mountain peaks representing different things that will happen in the future. And when Jesus Christ is speaking in a linear fashion, looking out into the future, you see the mountain peaks. And it appears that they all happen relatively at the same time. But if you move around to the side, you realize that there's a great valley in between those two mountain peaks. There's another great valley in between those mountain peaks. So when Jesus Christ was teaching about future end-time events, making statements of things that were going to happen, it could become confusing to think that they're all going to happen at the same time. When in reality, when you look at it from, a, from the side view, there's a great expanse of time. 
This next slide shows us this first mountain peak was the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. That's history now, so we know when that is. There was another mountain peak about Jesus coming back a second time. We don't know when that's going to be. If the tribulation period started now and lasted for seven years, then his second coming would be in 2028. That's if the tribulation began now. And we pray it will. Because we're told at the very end of the Old Testament revelation, last two verses, we're told to pray, even so come Lord Jesus, we want you back. And so that could come as early as 2028 to allow for the seven years leading up to that mountain peak. But then after that mountain peak, there's another valley that lasts a thousand years. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. After 1,000 years, God will establish a new heavens and a new earth. And so all of these things that are mentioned in prophetic passages and in Jesus' teaching and in the rest of the New Testament have to be, we have to look at that from the perspective that prophecy gives us mountain peak events, but it doesn't always tell us the distance between those events. And so just remember the mountain peaks of, uh, of prophecy. And so um, one more mountain peak slide. Yes, the unknown time from 70 A.D. to the beginning or till Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation is an unknown time. It's 1951 years and counting right now since 70 A.D. Uh, to when that could be if the tribulation began now. And then there's another uh, thousand years of millennial kingdom before that next mountain peak. So it's just important to understand the the reality of these time frames that are sometimes hard to understand. Um, so from the Olivet Discourse, we learn about the great teaching of the second coming. We, we learn that Jesus Christ is going to come at the end of severe tribulation, uh, earth shattering, just unimaginable catastrophic judgments that will end the tribulation period. It'll be a time of horrendous suffering. And then Jesus Christ went into the upper room. We're going to begin to look at that next Sunday as we, we move on in through Luke 22. Jesus gets the disciples in the upper room on Thursday to observe the Passover meal. And there he taught them some amazing things and prepared them. And then that night, Thursday night, he went out in the Garden of Gethsemane and was arrested. And the next day he was murdered. In the upper room... Jesus Christ said to the disciples, after he had just told them about these catastrophic judgments and the deep suffering and Jesus coming back in power to destroy his enemies, he said to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. But after all you just told us, you're telling us, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. After all that you've told us to expect the judgment, the catastrophe, the earth being hit by a planet and shaken off its axis, the sun being blotted out. We're in pitch blackness 24 hours a day. The, the, the tsunamis that are, that are just the earthquakes and the tsunamis they create, the whole world devastated. And you're telling us, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And that doesn't seem to fit. The picture that Jesus painted on the Olivet Discourse. And then as the New Testament epistles began to be written, we learned some things. We learned that between the time that Jesus Christ would die 
and the time that the tribulation judgments would begin, there was a mystery period of time. Now, you know what a mystery is, right? A mystery in the Bible is something that was not revealed in the Old Testament. That makes it a mystery. It's mystery because it's not foretold. And so the New Testament then revealed that there was a mystery period of time that was not in Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. It was not in any of the Old Testament prophetic scriptures. It was totally unannounced. And we don't know how long it's going to last, but it is a period of time in which Jesus sends his followers to the four corners of the earth. He says, go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Tell people about the gospel. Those who get saved, baptize them. Organize them into groups called churches and then teach them everything that you have learned from me. And we don't know how long that's going to last, but we call that the church age. The age in which churches are evangelizing the world, Jews and Gentiles alike. It's the church age. We learn from the rest of the New Testament that there's something that was not mentioned in the Olivet Discourse, and it was not mentioned in the Old Testament. We call it the church age. Something else the New Testament reveals is there's something else that has to do with Jesus Christ in which he catches up off the earth certain people. And we call that the rapture. Wasn't mentioned in the Olivet Discourse wasn't a part of any Old Testament preaching. It's something that the New Testament reveals as it unfolds. And we learn about a church age and we learn about a rapture. But we don't have any time frames to be able to peg them to know how long they last or when they will occur. Now, the question then is, how does all of this fit into the prophecies of the Old Testament and of Jesus preaching his Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives? Well, four simple questions. Number one, what is the rapture? What is this rapture that the Bible talks about? There are, I put in your little worksheet there, uh, three passage, key passages of Scripture that talk about the rapture. One, you'll recognize John 14. That's from the, uh, from the time in the upper room. Uh, there with Jesus and the disciples, and he said, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house for many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself. That's one of the key passages with regards to Jesus catching away his followers from off the face of the earth. Another one is the passage I ask you to turn to. It's in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Uh, really, it starts in verse 13. This is probably the, the most detailed passage to where we read about this event that we have come to call the rapture. Verse number 13, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. There were people that had believed in Christ, who were followers of Christ, who had died. And Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, I don't want you to be ignorant about what's happened to our church members who have already died. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So there's going to be a time that God's going to bring our loved ones back. If we believe that Jesus rose from the grave, we believe that he's going to bring back our loved ones. 
For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not, uh, unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. We which are alive at this event that is being described here, that we have come to call the rapture, we need to understand that if we're living when that happens, that we're not going to prevent them which are asleep. Now, this is an important place to remind us that the English words in the King James Version are not to be ignored or just minimized or ridiculed. You know what the word prevent means? The English word prevent in this verse, you know what it means? It means to, get, write this down, get this, ready? It means to prevent. It means to prevent. The word was used in the sense of preventing someone from having priority. Let me, let me give it to you this way. You, you walk into uh, Chick-fil-A or any, any place before they put up lines where there was only one line. Remember back when it was, there was just, you know, kind of free-for-all. You know, there was four cash registers and a mob. Now, if somebody came in after you came in, and they walked up and they cut in front of you, they prevented your priority. They prevented you from being ahead of them. They prevented you from getting to the cash register before you. That's what the word means. And the Bible says if we're alive, when this rapture occurs, we're not going to get in front of our loved ones that already died. And we're not going to prevent them from taking priority. The, the King James is an accurate, good translation. The only problem is we don't learn English anymore. And so we will say, well, what this really means is proceed. No, what it really means is prevent. It means I'm going to get in front of you and prevent you from priority. That's what the word means. And whenever this rapture occurs, we're told that we which are alive and are on earth, when this event occurs, we're not going to get in front of our loved ones that have already died and prevent them from having priority over us in the order of resurrection. They're going to be resurrected first. And then we are going to be resurrected after them. Now, in verse number 17, he goes on to say, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So our loved ones that already died ahead of us, they are, they've already been with Jesus. Jesus is going to bring them back to the clouds, not to the earth, just to the clouds. And then he's going to resurrect their bodies from the graves up to the clouds. And then we're waiting, and once that's done, then we get to be resurrected, and our living bodies will put on incorruption, as 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to explain further. Mortal must put on immortality, corruptible must put on incorruption, and we'll be caught up into the clouds to be with the Lord, along with those loved ones who had already gone. Now, the, the word that is translated caught up, it means exactly what it says. It means to be caught up, to be snatched up, to be taken up. But when the Bible was translated into Latin, the Latin word that translated this word was R-A-P-U-R-O. That was the Latin word. 
When the King James Version was translated into English, they did not translate the word, the Greek word. Rather, they took the Latin word, which means the same thing, and they transliterated it. You know what transliteration is. That's when you change letter for letter. Rapturo, R-A-P-T-U-R-O, was transliterated into R-A-P-T-U-R-E in English. So it wasn't translated. If it was translated, it would probably say caught up or snatched up or taken up. could have been translated by different phrases to mean the same thing. The, the, the Greek word, the Latin word, and the English word all mean identically the same. It means to be snatched up, to be caught up. And the word rapture comes from the transliterated Latin word into English. And the word, so the phrase caught up together in the Latin was rapture. And that's the name that we use to describe this event. We call it the rapture. When we are caught up to be with our loved ones that went on before us, and uh, we'll meet them in the clouds, that's important. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So what is the rapture? The rapture is this event described in John 14 when he said, don't be troubled. Don't worry about it. I know you heard everything I said about the Olivet Discourse. Don't be, don't be troubled. Everything's okay. I'm going to go prepare a place. If I go prepare a place, I will come again. When I come again, I will receive you unto myself. You'll always be with me. Don't worry about it. Just be settled. Be calm. John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15 revealed to us that there is an event. Now, that doesn't place it in time. It just tells us there's an event. Somewhere in the future. We don't know. At this point, we don't know whether it's in, in the tribulation period, before the tribulation period, after the tribulation period. I mean, we just know someplace, sometime, somewhere, believers are going to be snatched up off the earth to the clouds and go be with the Lord. So. The question then, first question, what is the rapture? Well, that's what it is. Second question is, could it be that the rapture is the same thing as the second coming? Could it be that the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period is, in fact, the same thing described in John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, when we're caught up, when believers are caught up? Could it be the same thing that Jesus was talking about when he talked about the, that, in fact, he was going to come back in power and glory and split the Mount of Olives in half and judge the world of Christ's rejectors. Could they be the same event? Well, see, what's, what's the PowerPoint number? Okay, yes, that's the question. Is the rapture and the second coming the same thing? I gave you a chart here on your little worksheet. Um, and this is an interesting little chart. I did not put this together. I think my brother up in Pennsylvania put it together. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he's the one that originally put it together. But this is a chart that, that uh, describes the rapture and the second coming. I'll just show you a couple of them and then uh, leave it to you for your own perusal. In the rapture, the saints meet Christ in the air. We just read that. In the rapture, the saints meet Christ in the air. But in the second coming, Christ descends to the Mount of Olives. In the rapture, there's no judgment of unbelievers associated with the event. But with the second coming, that's what he's coming for, to judge the unbelievers. 
With the rapture, there's no mention of a millennial kingdom being established immediately after the rapture. But that's the purpose of the second coming. He's coming back to destroy the unbelievers and to establish his kingdom. Now, you can go through the chart just the way I went through those first, four, first three things. And you can compare. What does the Bible say about this event that we call the rapture? Mentioned, taught to us in John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, and 1 Corinthians 15. What, what do we know about this event? And then what do we know about the second coming? And when you do that little exercise and go through those eight things about the rapture and the second coming, you can't help but come to the conclusion they are not the same thing. What Jesus taught about in the Olivet Discourse in his second coming is not to be confused in any way to the rapture. They are two entirely different events. And so the rapture is definitely not the same thing as the second coming. Happens at a different time for a different purpose and it's attended by different situations. However, and this is where it, the, a little bit of confusion can come in, the word coming is used of both the rapture and the second coming. It, it was used there in First Thessalonians Chapter 4, it was used in John 14. If I go prepare a place, I will come and receive you unto myself. Uh, if uh, Let's see, where is it? Uh, verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. So the phrase, the word coming and the phrase coming of the Lord is used of the rapture. Jesus is coming, but where is he coming? He's coming to the clouds. At the second coming, where is he coming? He's coming to the Mount of Olives. When he comes in the rapture to the clouds, what happens? The believers leave earth and join him in the clouds and go with him. When Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period in the second coming, Jesus comes all the way to the Mount of Olives and he judges a world of Christ rejectors. They, they, the details of what is involved in the rapture cannot be synthesized into the details of what occurs on the second coming. The rapture is something entirely different. Third question, are there different opinions as to when the rapture occurs in reference to the tribulation? And of course there are different opinions. The, the, the rapture, we are only given these, these passages that give us a picture of the rapture and some details of the rapture, but none of them... Peg the timing in relationship to the tribulation or second coming. And so, since the Bible is, does not make a clear statement on that, that does bring different opinions. Here's one opinion on this next screen. Here's the opinion that the rapture will occur right before the second coming. This is called the post-tribulation view. That the rapture will occur at the end of the tribulation. That would mean that Jesus is going to come back to the clouds... All the believers on the earth at the end of the tribulation period will leave the earth and join him in the clouds. Then we will come right back down to the earth on white horses to do the battle of Armageddon. It's kind of a U-turn. Jesus comes down to the clouds, stops. Instead of us going back to heaven with him, he catches us up into the clouds. And then we make a U-turn and come back down and, and come the rest of the way down with him. That's the post-tribulation view, the idea of the end of the tribulation. Then here's another view. 
that the rapture will occur right in the middle of the tribulation period. The tribulation period is divided in the Bible into two portions, the first half and the second half. The first half is marked by a peace treaty that the Antichrist forges with Israel and the Arabs so that the Jews are able to rebuild a temple and they're able to worship Jehovah God in their temple there in Jerusalem. But then in the middle of the tribulation, something happens that, that Luke didn't include in his telling the Olivet Discourse, so we never looked at it. It's, you find it in Matthew's rendering of the Olivet Discourse. It's the Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation walking into the temple and saying, I am God. And all of a sudden, the peace treaty's over. And then the judgments just explode in intensity. And the horrendous persecution against Israel explodes in intensity in the second half of the tribulation. So there are those who believe that we as Christians will go through the first half of the tribulation during the peace treaty. And there are judgments. The first five sealed judgments of Revelation all occur before the middle of the tribulation. So we'll still be on earth during the tribulation of the tribulation period. But then... All of a sudden, Jesus Christ is going to come down to the clouds, catch us up. We'll go back to heaven with him. And for the last three and a half, when the judgments become catastrophic, we won't be here. That's called the mid-tribulation view, or more recently, at least in the last 20 years, called the pre-wrath rapture of the church. A book by uh, one of the Jewish... um, uh, evangelist wrote the book. Uh, what was it? Was it Marv Rosenthal? I think might have wrote the book, the pre-wrath rapture. He believed that the rapture will occur right in the middle of the tribulation, right before the um, the big transition with the Antichrist. And then there's the third period, uh, the third view, the third view that the rapture will occur before the tribulation begins, and that we will be caught up to be with the Lord. We'll be caught up to the clouds, then we'll go be with the Lord. At the beginning of the entire tribulation period. Those are the three periods. Now, final question. Why do I believe that the rapture will be the last of those three views? Why have I always preached? Our church doctrinal statement states it. I've always preached it. That the rapture will occur at the beginning of the tribulation period. Why do I believe that? I've put three reasons in your little... uh, sermon worksheet this evening, and one of them is because of the flow of the book of Revelation. Now, again, let me remind you that that the Bible nowhere tells us exactly when the rapture is going to occur. That's why there are differences of opinion, whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. Why do I believe it's pre-trib? One of the reasons, maybe even the biggest reason, is because of the flow of the book of Revelation. Revelation is a very interesting and detailed book. And when you look at the flow of Revelation, you immediately see that the book of Revelation opens up in chapters 1 through 3, telling, giving a picture of Jesus walking amongst seven churches. And then he dictates a private letter to each of those churches and sends those letters to those seven churches. Revelation 1 through 3 is dominated by God's attention to the work of churches in the world, fulfilling the Great Commission. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, the scene immediately leaves earth and goes to heaven. And what do we see in Revelation 4 and 5? We see the redeemed 
worshiping Jesus Christ, singing a song. Worthy is the Lamb who has redeemed us unto God by thy blood. And so the attention immediately goes from earth to heaven, from the work of churches all over the world, well, at least in, in Revelation, Asia Minor, Turkey, seven churches, and immediately goes to heaven where the redeemed are worshiping God. Revelation chapter 6 comes back to earth, and Revelation chapter 6 to 18 is a description of the judgments of God against a world that's rebelled against Him. And the evangelization of that world. And who evangelizes that world? 144,000 Jewish evangelists, a couple of witnesses that were murdered in the streets of Jerusalem and left Dead, and the TV cameras showing them broadcasting around the world where people could flip on their smartphone anytime, any place in the world, and they could see those two witnesses dead on the streets of Jerusalem as mockery against the people who would have the audacity to preach about the blood of Jesus Christ. An angel goes through the sky and presents the gospel. And for chapter 6 to chapter 18, there are judgments being poured out onto a world in increasing intensity, and there is the evangelization of the world. But not one time is any church mentioned in chapter 6 to chapter 18. In chapters 1 to, thir- uh, 1 to 3, chapters 1 to 3, the word church or churches occurs 19 times. Nineteen times in chapters 1 to 3. Then, when the focus goes to the redeemed in heaven and comes back down to the seven years of tribulation and seven years of evangelism, all the evangelism is being done by Jews and an angel. And there's not one reference to any activity by any church on earth during those Seven years. That ends with chapter 18. And then chapter 19, our attention goes back to heaven and the redeemed are at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we, we get in behind Jesus and we come back to earth for His second coming and engage in the battle of Armageddon. And then in chapter 20 and chapter 20, uh, chapter 20, After having conquered his enemies in the battle of Armageddon, Jesus establishes his kingdom. He binds Satan for a thousand years, establishes his kingdom on earth. Then in chapter 21 and 22, he creates a new heavens and a new earth after Satan was loosed and the final battle occurs. And then the closing verses of Revelation 22, after after God has laid out all of the future, that culminates in a new heavens and a new earth, and we're enjoying eternity with our God. God now writes the conclusion to the book of Revelation. And in the conclusion, he comes back to John on the Isle of Patmos. And he says, John, and then he gives him some closing comments. And one last time, the word church occurs. Because his attention comes back to John's day and age, when God's focus is on churches. By the way, please understand, God's focus is on churches.
God doesn't have a plan B. God only has a plan A. And his plan A is churches. And when his attention comes back to John's day and time, God uses the word church one more time. Where is the church, the word church or churches never used? It's never used in the seven years of tribulation. So the flow of the book of Revelation leads me to the conclusion that the rapture of the saints will occur before the tribulation begins and then all Christians will vacate earth. There will be no Christian on earth. There will be no churches. There will be apostate churches, but we can't really call apostate churches churches. There will be no biblical churches operating on earth from the beginning of the tribulation forward. And so that would lead me to believe that the tribulation, uh, that the tribulation doesn't have any churches, that all Christians were raptured before the tribulation began. There was a second reason. I gave you three verses, Titus, Revelation, and Second Thessalonians, all three that deal with our promised hope and escape rather than judgment related to the rapture. The rapture is not coming to us in relationship to God's judgment on the earth. The rapture is our hope of escape. And and that second verse, Revelation 3, verse 10, to one of the churches in, in Revelation, God said to that church that God was going to keep them from the hour of temptation. The hour of temptation which shall come upon all the earth. A specific season of temptation, of trial, of failure, of judgment. You study out that word temptation, how it's used. God said to that church family, I will keep you out of that distinct period of time when there will be great judgment. And so the promise that we have in the church age is a promise of hope, a promise of escape from the world before judgment, not going through judgment. Let me give you one last one. Populating the millennial kingdom with people. This is, this is an interesting concept, but at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will establish his kingdom, right? Now, if the rapture occurred at the end of the tribulation period, and the rapture includes the glorified bodies of all Christians, of all believers, so all believers on the earth at the end of the tribulation period, if the rapture occurred then, every believer on earth would receive a glorified body. At the same time, we come right back down to earth, All believers went up to the clouds. All believers got glorified bodies. All believers came back down and fought the battle of Armageddon. And all unbelievers are destroyed. That means there is zero people with unglorified bodies. Who's going to have all the babies that's going to populate the millennial kingdom? The rapture can't happen and give everyone glorified bodies at the end of the tribulation. And so that's just another thing, another uh, concept that, that 
uh, leads me to believe the rapture had to occur earlier. Some would believe the rapture will occur in the middle of the tribulation, and, and it's before the great judgment of the second half of the tribulation. And the believers would only have to go through the five sealed judgments of the first half of the tribulation, and then we get our escape from the catastrophic judgments of the second half. There are people who love God and love the Word of God who they've come to that conclusion that the rapture will be in the middle of the tribulation before the great judgments of the second half. I wouldn't argue with someone who believes that. Because the Bible doesn't definitively give us a concrete place where the rapture has to occur. But when I look at the flow of the book of Revelation, I cannot overcome the clarity that I see in the book of Revelation that cannot place the rapture in the middle of the tribulation. It, by default, must occur before the tribulation begins. But again, we're talking about a, a minute differential that people have come to different conclusions on. And I wouldn't argue with somebody, because I'm the pastor and I'm responsible to God for the doctrine taught at CBC, I would ask anyone who taught at CBC to not introduce a concept that is in contradiction to our church's doctrinal statement. For the sake of the unity of the church. And so I would have a problem with someone who wanted to preach or teach the pre-wrath rapture of the church. And introduce confusion. Because I see no practical value that that would have. I can only see negative implications that that would have regarding the unity of the church. So there we have it. Where does the rapture fit in? It fits in before the tribulation period starts. And so I'm expecting for Jesus to catch me up off this earth before the tribulation begins. I would argue vehemently against anybody who believes the rapture will occur at the end of the tribulation. However, I would be gracious to someone who believed that the rapture occurs before the catastrophic judgments that will begin in the middle of the tribulation. There you have it. That's my understanding of the Word of God and where the rapture fits in.